1: everybody, and welcome again to gamesatwork.biz, your weekly technology podcast. My name is Andy Piper, and I am back after a week out, and I am joined, as always, by my good friends. Uh, I'm going to pass across, first of all, to Mr. Michael Martin. Michael, how are you?
2: Hey, Andy, I'm glad to be here, and uh, we wish we were always here, too. Uh, that, but we're, It's amazing that we're here as a trio once more. Um, And glad to see that I'm here also, not just with you, but with Mr. Michael Rowe. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? Hey,
0: Michael. Hey, Andy. Uh, It is Friday, which means we get to have some fun and talk tech. So let's get to it, Michael. I'll pass it right back.
2: (laughs) Well, Andy, we missed you last week because you were away. As we should. Always. And and, and we we did note as such uh, that you were doing some interesting things. But now that you're back, uh, there's a little report out, I think, on your experiences in Liverpool.
1: Well, there's no report yet. I do need to write something up. I'm slowly getting back into the habit uh of blogging, uh, writing things. And so it is on my to-do list and possibly this weekend. If I do get it done this weekend, then we will include it in the show notes. Otherwise, then you can go to these other sites that we're going to link to. Or they could
0: just listen to you right now and you'll give us a verbal report out.
1: Yeah, so what happened? But it won't include <laughs> the pictures. It won't include all of the other fun things and links and stuff. So last weekend, uh, it was the Liverpool Make Fest, and as a result, we decided to take a long weekend, basically up and go up to Liverpool um, for the long weekend through Friday through Monday. It also turned out to be uh, the Liverpool Waterside uh, confer- uh, conferences uh, concerts, and we mm. were staying right by the waterfront, so. Um, on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, there were huge rock concerts, pop concerts, right uh, outside of our hotel window, uh, which was fine, but a bit noisy until uh, things. And I'm old now, so you know.
0: You, you told those kids to get off your lawn.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anywho, Liverpool Makefest is run, actually run by a friend of mine and uh, some other folks that I know from the industry have been uh, that were there and helping out in on the crew. And it was held at Liverpool Central Library. They, they have a small sort of regional set of makefests, uh, So that I think there'd been one in the Wirral the previous month. And anyway, the Liverpool Central Library itself is a fantastic library and space. It's a really beautiful space. One of our friends who's a librarian or an information scientist mentioned to us that it was one of the best reference libraries in Europe. And uh, certainly it's got some really great spaces. Uh, it's got this really large central atrium that goes up through, I think, four or five stories um, with, a, with a glass dome on the top and a, and a kind of a roof deck. So uh, there was one maker there, Concrete Dog, who I know, uh, who was launching hot air balloons up through the central atrium, which was really, really cool. Uh, I made a little video of that and I've put that up on uh, my videos site. There were a ton of people I knew from uh, following them online or that I'd met before. And there were some people that I didn't know, which was also particularly exciting. One or two of the things I'll call out, um, electric flapjack guitars. Um, This is a gentleman from, I think, Cambridgeshire who is 3D printing guitars in these really incredible uh, designs. So he's got one that's kind of uh, almost like a lattice body, electric guitar, Uh, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, There were... um, lots of other folks there the rc 2014 retro homebrew uh kits were there um there were people doing plotters there were people doing 3d printing it was really fun to see families and young people youngsters going and seeing stuff they could interact with and learn from one of the things that i'm particularly interested in at the moment especially as i'm getting more into 3d printing is some of the work that was being done around recycling of plastics. so just outside the front of the library was one of the local high schools who have their own make space in the high school, and they are recycling plastics. So they're encouraging the youngsters to bring plastics in, and then they are melting them down and fashioning them into different things.
0: I have a question about that, because I was actually, uh, Michael knows Stormy, and we were actually looking at what it would take to build a uh, filament recycling business. Mm. And um, the, the upfront costs, if you kind of go the commercial route, is, is very high. And I was wondering, was the school using a commercial device or were they, no, they had built they it. built their they own built their maker? Own. It'd be really cool to get that down to kind of homebrew yeah. size, yeah. right? And, yeah. and pricing. I'd love to get any specs they have and see what it would take. So they have it,
1: they built it. Um, they. I'm just looking on their uh, website to remind myself what process um, they're using. But it's a, an open source um, recycling process they're using. And they've got a big heater um, for melting the plastics down. And what they're doing then is t- pressing it into sheets and then fashioning sheets into bowls or coasters and other things. But um, So they're not,
0: they're not extruding it back into, they are into not, filament? They are not but, okay.
1: doing that. Um, but I will get back to you on exactly the name of the um, cool, the process they're using because it does look really interesting. It is expensive still, so they, um, you know, it was an investment that the school made, and it's been paid off in the sense that they can teach their kids about sustainability and things like that. Um, one of the other things we were really grateful for was after the show, um, because we knew um, some of the organizers we were able to go over to the Liverpool Make Space and which is called does Liverpool which is a co-working space and makerspace. space uh, it's been there for over uh, 12 years and um some folks i know happen to have started that so we got a full behind the scenes if you like tour of all of the really cool stuff i mean they have all the toys they have the very large format laser cutters and they have uh you know, um, an array of different sorts of, uh, 3d printers. They had an old, uh, a couple of old IBM, uh, pieces of technology that they were in the process of restoring from sort of mechanical, uh, computers from the, from the 1950s and sixties, uh, um, the, the really, really, really cool stuff. So, um, possibly might look at putting, having my own booth there or our own booth there in the future. Don't know yet. Um, it's, uh, obviously. Uh, need to get up there and uh, and have something to show off, but really, really cool, fun. That was just this just the one day that we 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 spent doing that. The rest of the time we were just on vacation. But um, yeah, lots of blinky things, uh, lots of lit up things, and it was it was really fun. Oh, that's fabulous! I'm I'm so glad that you had that
2: opportunity, Andy. And, and of course, your your network is is extraordinarily wide, so it must have been a lot of fun to be, meet people. In real life so to speak uh that you've been following and checking out and seeing what they've been doing for a while and then see the tangible results of their work too that's so cool um so so jumping into the links and we've got a doozy of a show for uh, our listening audience here today uh, the first one we've got is a mashable article that's dealing with major league baseball so that's the the american baseball organization here uh doing a virtual stadium um now we've seen things like this before but this this particular example apparently has got a couple of new twists and turns to them with um the ability to wander around the stadium play some mini games and 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 perhaps enjoy some of the kinds of things that we've seen from wimbledon and others before about games happening in progress um I thought it was fun that it was sponsored by a beer company. Uh, so,
1: you know, are, are do you have beer goggles when you're in this uh,
2: virtual stadium? Or
1: It's interesting that well, we mentioned in Wimbledon very briefly two things. One is that you both mentioned uh, very kindly, but um, I think mistakenly last week that I'd been involved with the uh, Wimbledon and Second Life project, and I was really just a bystander who was as excited as you both were, although I was more local than you both were. The other thing is just to mention that the uh, – the All in England Championships is on this week uh, and next week, so it's been happening on my doorstep for the last uh, few days. So yeah, but back to back to the, back to Major League Baseball.
0: The the interesting thing about this uh, and and why it's relevant this year, right, uh, compared to all the other previous uh, places where we've seen some kind of VR experience, is um, the deal that Apple has with Major League Baseball. Right, You can watch all the U.S. Major League Baseball games, Friday, Saturday, can't remember all the days, on Apple TV. And there are conversations being had around what could you do with the Vision Pro with Major League Baseball. And the fact that they now have a virtual stadium for this one event uh, will give them time to experiment and experience what you possibly could do with things like uh, the 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 Apple soundscape that you have now with, uh, and I can't remember the term they use, but basically directional sound uh, that you have in uh, in audio on your 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 AirPods spatial audio spatial. Thank you, thank you, Andy. Spatial audio, uh, etc. And so uh, it's it's kind of a a precursor to things that may come. Uh, you have the same idea of. Um, with, uh, with the Vision Pro announcement, they didn't really talk about sports as one of the use cases, but you know it's got to be coming. You've got uh, MLB, you've got Major League Soccer in the US on Apple TV. Um, they this is exciting as a precursor of what they might be able to do once you spend thirty five hundred dollars to strap it. to So, your face. just
2: for full clarity here, um, the article says something like the Vision Pro is is this an Apple partnership with Major League Baseball to create this virtual stadium and this experience, or are you just kind of extrapolating?
0: Right, right now the experience is on a website. Just like you know, back in the day, and currently with Second Life, right? It's an app or a website. the The idea being, and and I was listening to a couple of the the, the Apple rumor sites talking about this that this could be a precursor.
2: Okay, yeah, I, I, mean,
0: I didn't I didn't do. see any Apple, and the fact that you can move and hear the sound from different locations, right?
2: So yeah okay so that that was that was the it's kind of like port for you that the the spatial audio aspect of it yeah I mean we we've, we've seen things like this before where you could be sitting on the bench watching the basketball game that's happening in a particular stadium and then have the perspective of somebody on the bench or a player on the field or or on the court or what have you so the this particular experience is going to be happening. Uh, uh, well, today is Friday. It'll be tomorrow. So it'll be after this goes and gets produced and sent out to everybody. So, uh, it's 9 30 PM on July 8th. So it'll be interesting to see what this actually looks like. I don't know that I will be prioritizing this. Baseball is not exactly my jam. I don't care about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Andy, I suspect but, you know, you're probably, I, this probably you're in the same mode here too, right? Yeah,
0: 15 minutes, though, on Saturday. Go to the website, see what it's like, and then
2: extrapolate. Yep. Okay, so now let's, let's actually turn to uh, Vision OS and Vision Pro because there was a, another article that we, we chatted about briefly in the pre-show, too, that there is a way to experience Vision OS uh, but not on an Apple device. And, Michael, you, you uh, were pointing this out to us, too.
0: Yeah, and and I thought I saw something that there's a Git repo. And uh, Andy, you have you have the uh, the Quest, right?
1: I do you the, have the Quest Pro? I have the Quest Two. I do not have the Quest Pro. and okay. You cannot run this on the Quest Two or the Quest Three. Only because on it the Doesn't Pro, so. include eye tracking, which is required.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so someone has taken and created a a, a, a simulation. Uh, it's not a port; it's a simulation of of VisionOS uh, experience uh, on the Quest Pro, and you can get the code on GitHub and and test it out yourself. Um, I think they've done a really good job of some of the things I've seen in the simulator, right? Because nobody has the Vision OS yet; they only have the simulator, um, and the code's not. Publicly available, um, but uh, I'm impressed. You know, it it says from a uh, from a very simple aspect of some of the UI, i.e., eye tracking and hand gestures. Uh, you know what what they do uh, about a month, and they were able to put something together that kind of looks like it.
1: I, I, I will. I'm s- impressed. I will say that since we were all together last on the podcast, I've been playing again with my quest and um, did a big update because I hadn't switched it on for a while. So I had lots of uh, new things and it really felt like um, meta have woken up and have started to throw a lot of tech into the uh, into the quest builds. So there is oh, yeah. now hand tracking, so you don't need to use the controllers there and it's, it's okay. It, it didn't seem to work seamlessly as I might have liked, but it was pretty good. Um, and there is... A major performance boost for everybody who has one because they've unlocked some of the limiting on the CPU and GPU. So, yeah, it was it was interesting to revisit and update a few things and try some some different apps. Um, it's still very much a gaming device for me rather than any kind of other practical uh, usage.
0: I, I don't know if either of you listen to ATP. Uh, yeah, they, they did a deep dive, the Accidental Tech Podcast. Uh-huh. They did a deep dive from a developer perspective uh, yesterday on VisionOS um, and and kind of their perspective and the comparisons with what Quest is doing and, and what Apple shows and where it kind of leads you to. Very good. I mean, it's a long podcast, but uh, uh, if you've got the time, I'd recommend listening to the guys. They did a good job.
2: Andy, I'm I'm curious about um, your experiences too. When we were looking at the earth bending example from mm. last week, uh, do do you for the hand tracking? Do you have to have your hands very firmly out in front of you, or are there forward and down facing uh, cameras that are able to look at the gestures and hand tracking now? Uh, good question. How, how, I mean, how that, far I, out is it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I needed to be some yeah, wow, just sort of arm central central arms length in front of you, so. It wasn't like having to hold it all the way out, you know, the extent of my my reach. It was that it was very much in front of me. or in out there? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't sort of down by my side, whatever. Um, Right. But they've put some effort, I think, or it felt like they'd put some effort into giving you more of a tutorial in terms of things you could do. When you did the update, there were a bunch of different sort of features that it it sort of refreshed your memory of and gave you additional uh, information about. And you were able to sort of, Pick windows or apps up and move them around your field of vision um, a bit more, which uh, again felt like it was in the direction of what we've seen from Vision OS. But right, some of this stuff happened before the the Vision OS announcement. I'm just behind the times because I don't uh, pull it out <laughs> very much. I was also a bit disappointed because I noticed that one of I've got the uh, the fancier uh, uh, headband with the little adjustable um, wheel on the back. And I uh, discovered that it's kind of a hard plastic side, and I found that one of those has become cracked, which I was a bit annoyed about. Obviously, I I, I've presumably done that at some point myself, but rather than it just spontaneously breaking. but um, you, it's, your,
0: your head was so hard that when you tightened it, it yeah. snapped.
1: No, it's... it's <laughs> it <laughs> sounds it was, like a 3D printing opportunity to me, Andy. Yeah. I mean, pretty much anything you get now, or I get now, I immediately S- go on to... Scan uh, it uh, in? Go, go on to the... Uh, Websites to look for what 3d add-on uh, 3d printable add-ons I can make for them. so yeah ah, that's super cool.
0: You, you, you are you are so into the world of 3D printing now you have you've gone all the way into the rabbit. I, hole. <laughs> I I wrote
1: a blog post this week on my personal blog, which turned out to have been the first time for nearly a year that I'd written anything on there. and it was about running a 3D print catalog um, using some self- hosting software that a friend of mine has written. And I I got a notification from one of the blog directories uh, saying that I'd I'd posted this for the first time in, in nearly a year, and I ended up featured on their homepage as a, as a blog that had come back to life. So yeah, I need to, um, (laughs) but I've definitely fallen down a rabbit hole and I keep kept thinking to myself, I can't write about this thing because I haven't written about the fact that I've got into 3d printing yet as such. So I felt, felt like there needed to be some kind of sequential Series of blood. No, and just, I just jump feel, right in. Yeah, I should just start writing. Just do so, it. Yeah, <laughs> e- easing into the frigid pool
2: is sometimes not the way to go. You know, mm. sometimes jumping is the the, right, first. the right pattern. Um, M-
0: make sure you're underwater and it blows all the air
2: out of your lungs. <laughs> So, so our next our next story is uh, probably why I had porting on the brain. So, thank you, Michael, for the correction. The, this is a nine to five article, also about Apple having a game porting tool for macOS. And Michael, you shared with us some uh, personal experiences and use cases of this, didn't you?
0: Well, well, yeah, and, and you know there was a, a, an article uh, a week or two ago about Whoopi Goldberg being mad that Diablo Four doesn't work. On a Mac, uh, and then I saw articles of people testing out the game porting tool and getting it to run. Uh, so, so of course, I was like, "Well, I've got a Mac, and I've got the access to this code. I will, I will try to load uh, Diablo Immortal." And uh, <clears throat> let's let's put it this way: it was not successful. <laughs> it, and, and what Apple has done is they've taken Wine, uh, which is the, uh, the the Windows emulator uh that
2: from linux typically it, right
0: it it yeah it's on a lot of different platforms but um it's been on the mac for gosh over a decade easy um and they've added extensions to do conversions to metal which is their low-level graphics framework uh to really increase the performance of things uh and so uh the the reviews or the, the kind of the developer sites that I've been looking at uh, have been talking about you know some significant games being pretty easy to run in that emulator, uh, and the idea being that if you can show that the effort from a developer perspective to get your app to run. At decent performance levels, is minimal. Maybe they'll then invest a little bit more to make it better, right? And actually make a Mac version of some of
1: the games. So this is uh, and uh, this is very similar technology uh, to what the Steam Deck relies on, right? So the Steam Deck is a Linux device, um, and they've spent a lot of time building their own version of Wine called Photon, which um, enables you to run really the majority of current Windows games. Um, at perfectly good performance now on on a full Linux stack. Um, And as Michael says, this is really just taking that same concept and making it more um, Apple Silicon and Metal-tuned, although obviously it's still not very far down that road, but it's it's sounding like it's promising. Uh, It's interesting that emulation has become, not emulation, translation has become the way to do this uh, rather than to have companies necessarily make their games natively on the each of the platforms
0: Well, just think about it you know the the other big thing that uh, apple did not talk about for for the vision pro is gaming and and you've just said your quest
1: headset is a gaming headset well that's what i use it for it. what's what, that's what, what well, I was most saying. people and use what, it for and what and it comes out of the box with is a lot of games you know the yeah. the the, the, yeah. the new subscription service that i think you both spoke about last week is throwing <laughs> the games each time right so
0: yeah and so so if if apple did not talk about that yet really in any meaningful way other than saying if you have a, a controller you can play your apple arcade games right um the the big big a-list title games that uh, are you know full explorable worlds are begging for VR, uh, with that headset. And if you can showcase them at quote, using this, this translation layer and it's acceptable level of performance that, that again, gives you more potential content for when the device actually launches next year, instead of the very small niche of content that's going to be available to start with.
2: That's a, that's a, that's a really good point, Michael. Um, and and does take advantage of like you said, of the translation nature because why why reengineer if you don't need to? And if you can use the the power of the chipset to just do it dynamically and on the fly, that's going to be updatable every time it gets better anyway right
0: and 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 the big thing that most of the games have to do for running on different platforms is not the logic code. It is about the shaders and the graphic generation right it's true. uh and and rendering so
2: yeah ha huh. interesting um all right so so moving along we've done a little bit of AR and VR and now it's time to go do a little AI um, and mm. we have a Gizmodo article, which I think between the three of us, we can take it probably half a dozen different directions, but the, the title almost says it all. Uh, it's an update to Google's privacy policy. And the title of the article says, Google says it'll scrape everything you post online for AI. And we know from our experiences around large language models and the like, and what's been ingested. And there's a number of uh, interesting uh, caveats around this, too, about what is legit, what is licensed, et cetera. Um, things that, Andy, you post on a blog that is open and available to everybody anywhere in the world. Yes. Uh, Google says that um, they'll be happily. Able to read it, uh, notice that you've posted for the first time in a year and uh, potentially to incorporate it into
1: a language model for further generative AI use. Well, well, uh, let's how t- does that t- grab you? Let's talk about that for a moment because you brought it back to my blog, which is quite relevant um, to my experience this week. So I signed into my WordPress.com blog to post something for the first time in a while this week. And one of the features that WordPress has now added is an AI assistant. Of course, because everybody has to have an AI assistant these days. And so you can do some things that we're familiar with by now from services like Chat GPT. You can select your chunk of text that you've, you've written or started to write and ask it to rewrite this in a particular tone of voice or, or whatever. And I tried that a couple of times and it just didn't sound like me anymore. It did a perfectly good job of rewriting what I'd written in a different tone of voice and, and, and not necessarily modifying the factual content, but it, it didn't feel like me. So I reverted it. What I didn't notice is because of WordPress's blocks technology, which is the, in their editor, um, at one stage I, I hit publish and I still had the AI assistant sort of selected as active on this particular block. And what happened, even though I undone what it, it had done for me and what happened was that that block of text that, that literally that, that paragraph just didn't get published anymore. <laughs> so I was rereading it after I posted it thinking, wait a minute, I said this whole, what happened about this yeah. whole section about such and such and then it, it wasn't there anymore <laughs> um, in terms of ownership and in terms of Google doing this, what they've done here is tweaked their, uh, privacy policy, I believe, uh, to basically previously it mentioned specifically Google translate uh beg your pardon, it, it just uh, referred to uh, language models, and now they specifically call out the kinds of things that the data that it finds on the internet might be used for Google Translate, BARD, and Cloud AI, and so on. And um, the idea of Google sort of reserving the right to use any part of the web um, as a data source for its models is interesting, not entirely surprising, I think there's going to quite quickly be some interesting, and in fact, I know there's some cases already um, you know, in, in process uh, around um, where data has come from that's trained particular models, and, and whether or not it's f- fair use versus copyright infringement um, for some quite substantial chunks of text. So I think there's a couple of authors at the moment that are taking one of the AI companies to court over this. Um, and yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this stuff gets, uh, intermingled. We don't know exactly where some things come from, have come from in terms of what we get fed back from, from these, these models. I, 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 think it's one of those things that if you think about it, it shouldn't be surprising in terms of how a service that is, has been aiming to make, the web more navigable for a long time um, in terms of how they teach it to do that we shouldn't be particularly surprised i think right now there's such a focus on llms what people refer to as ai and where the data is coming from and how it's being used is uh quite you know it brings it brings it firmly to the to the spotlight and in terms of hey, I wrote this stuff on my blog 10 years ago and it may have been ingested and it's now being used to to inform something. That's a, a data freshness issue, right? Um, stuff I write te- wrote 10 years ago is very unlikely to be relevant technically currently. Um, I, th- I, I think there's two issues here.
0: One, um, from a legal perspective... They're trying to make a statement to set a precedent, to say, if you haven't claimed it, we're claiming it. So they're claiming a permission that you may not have granted. So does that mean you need to actively say, no, my stuff is not allowed to be used by others for creation of their models, right? Then how do you enforce that? And so from a legal perspective and a corporate perspective, number one thing you want to do is you want to declare a statement first. And then the other person has to get it to change or defend against it. The second thing that I find kind of interesting about this this whole thing is there were a couple of stories out this week, and I'll see if I can find them, where uh, I can't remember if it was BARD or ChatGPT or, or one of the other LLMs right now where um, there's content behind a paywall. And the way you asked the prompt allowed the people to get the content from behind the paywall. Uh So in that case, they're actually circumventing a right that is either declared or not declared through the access through the paywall. So uh, I, I think there's some interesting legal plays going on right here. I agree. Data freshness, freshness is a key thing when it comes to models. But that's if you're a technical writer. If you're if you're writing a cookbook, you know, and a, a poached egg is going to be a poached egg, no matter when you design. Well, it.
1: look, we're we we're, we're running a bit short on time, but very briefly, given um, the time that we're recording this between the last show and this one, we've also seen uh, another meltdown with Twitter, where um, oh, yes. the owner decided to. Uh, seemingly claim that it was being heavily scraped and to, to put various uh, limits in place um i exceptionally doubt that that is uh, what happened but that's um that's my personal uh, position and uh actually the ability to 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 scrape things and not be able to use any kind of api limiting to stop that from happening is is there um So, I mean, he did what there was a nuclear option, which is okay, you've got to have a, you've got to be signed in to read anything and you've got to, uh, you've got to pay to read anything and all those kind of things. But uh, yeah, I think that, that horse is uh, for those platforms like Twitter and Reddit and Stack Overflow has long bolted. Well, it's
2: a good thing that in our case, we have very prominently displayed on our website that all rights are reserved for games at work and our content
1: exactly because we wouldn't want. which people I'm sure to rem- they could
0: miss that in their scraping
1: we wouldn't want people to rely on <laughs> links that we posted 15 years ago but uh, yeah, yeah um, certainly if you need legal advice on this then Michael Rowe is available uh, and he can give you none so
0: that's right
2: I am I, I am completely certified and authorized to give you none <laughs> Well, as Andy, you said um, that we're, we're running short on time and, and while there's lots I'd like to weigh in on the last conversation, I do want to make sure we have enough time for one, one more thing that um, I had the good fortune to participate in yesterday. Uh, and this was um, MIT uh, periodically does talks. And I received an invitation to join in a talk by uh, a Dr. Cynthia uh, Brazil, who, who pre- gave a talk about artificial intelligence and human computing and interaction types of activities and the relationship between all of them the the emotional and the social components in addition to the harder technical stuff that we've been dealing with in many other cases for for quite a while and The intriguing thing about her is we've actually talked about her company on a couple of occasions on this very podcast over the years. She was one of the lead technical folks involved in the Jibo robot. So Jibo, for those of you who may not remember it right offhand, you will when you take a look at the picture. Uh, It's this robot that has a couple of different articulation points. It, um, It interacts with you on a very human and social component, and it mimics. The positioning and the body positioning of the people that it's that it's interacting with in a way that makes you treat it as more of a trusted advisor, confidant, coach, uh, and friend, as opposed to the the chatbots and the generative AI kind of things that we've been seeing here as of late super intriguing piece of work. She's doing some really intelligent uh, things now where she's leveraging robots that are friendly and coaching and guiding and supportive in the same way for literacy skills and a whole range of other things as as well. Um, I had one video that if I can find it online, I, I will definitely wanna show it because her experiences with Jibo, which that service has now been discontinued, we talked about that a couple of years ago, that she has acquired a whole range of those robots to be able to do larger scale work with them. And there was a video that they showed where she walked in the room and said, hey Jibo, and there's about 20 of the robots that moved and went and looked at her in her direction. It's like, hi, hi, uh, and, and being able to, to then interact there too so cool stuff uh and to me intriguing to where the research is going from a social and emotional layer that takes the sort of things that we've been talking about from an ai perspective in a whole different direction just as valuable and just as important because trust and ai have to go together and if people don't trust the ai they're not going to leverage it and use it
0: all i can say is good news everybody (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: And why would that be, Michael?
0: Well, the show's over. (laughs) (laughs) Now, check out the website and you'll
2: find out why. Yep. We'll continue to post the links and uh, we'd love to have yours coming in here too. And we'll continue to have those showcased in uh, and on our website in the show notes. So thanks everybody for listening in for another week's effort of gamesatwork.biz and do uh, join us again in the next week. We'll be back again soon.
0: See ya next week been listening to games at the podcast about gaming technology and play we are part of the blueberry podcasting network and would like to thank the band random encounters for their song big blue you can follow us on twitter at games at work underscore biz or at our website at games at work